Good morning. Nice to look out and see uh, springtime out there, right? Dogwoods, red buds, all that blooming out. Not necessarily good for my allergies, but it's uh, <laughs> nice to look at anyway. I want to tell Edwin, good job with the class this morning, and thanks for the lead-in, because we're going to talk about Jeremiah 31. Good comments at the table also. Good to see everybody this morning. So Jeremiah 31, and Danny read that just a moment ago, and I may read once again just to kind of reemphasize some things there. But that's what we're going to take a look at this morning, God's new covenant that is talked about there in Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31 through 34. I'll pull up this introduction slide. God has made covenants down through the ages. We'll talk a little bit about that this morning. All previous covenants were leading to this new covenant that Jeremiah talks about. And Jeremiah, uh, God commissioned Jeremiah to prophesy in regards to that new covenant. Now, uh, we're going to notice he's going to say this is a new covenant. And in this new covenant, it will be written on our hearts. He will invite us into a personal relationship with him. And he will say that all that come into that covenant relationship will know him before they enter that covenant. And then he will promise the remission of sins. I'm just going to go ahead and pull up that first point there that this covenant is going to be written on our hearts. Now, I want to say a couple of things before we jump right into this. One of the things I want to mention is sometimes when we uh, have various lessons, lessons are intended to be kind of inspirational. Sometimes they're kind of intended to be motivational. At least I hope that's the way they come across. Some lessons are more doctrinal. And it's time to just get in and dig down and kind of mine the scriptures and see what's there. Well, this is a little bit more along those lines. It's going to be looking at several passages so we can kind of understand what Jeremiah is talking about there in Jeremiah, the 31st chapter. So we've been studying on Wednesday nights from the book of 2 Samuel. We just recently went through 2 Samuel, the 7th chapter, and where God makes a covenant with David. There are four major covenants in the Old Testament. There was a covenant that was made with Noah. There was a covenant that was made with Abraham. There was a covenant that was made with Israel, referred to as Law Moses. There is a covenant that is made with David. That's the one that we just covered. As you take a look at these covenants, and you follow the sequence in which they are delivered, if you notice as you follow those covenants, you also come to understand God's plan for redeeming man. In that first covenant with Noah, God said, I will never again destroy the earth by water. He preserved the world. In that second covenant with Abraham, one of the things that he promised is that through your seed, I will bless all the nations of the earth. Through that third covenant, God took Israel, the children of Jacob, and he made a covenant with them at Sinai. He formed a special people. Through David, he is promising, I will bring an eternal kingdom. And one of your descendants will sit on the throne of that eternal kingdom. I'm preserving a place for God and man to work together. 
I'm initiating redemption through Abraham. I'm forming a special people. And I'm going to bring an eternal kingdom and an eternal king. You follow those covenants and you see God's plan. And you see how it folds, unfolds. Some 900 years after God made that covenant at Sinai, through the prophet Jeremiah, he said, I'm bringing a new covenant. I want to read from Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through 34 again. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law into their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sins I will remember no more. As Jeremiah speaks about this new covenant, what you come to recognize is like there's a fourfold newness that he points out in regards to this covenant that God says that he is going to bring and to make with them. First of all, he says this covenant, this new covenant, will be written on their hearts. He also mentions that they shall all know him. There will be a personal relationship. And only the people who know him will enter into this covenant relationship with him. And then this covenant will bring the remission of sins. Written on hearts, close personal relationship with those who know him, promising the forgiveness of sins. I want to read to you now from the book of Exodus. Exodus, the 24th chapter. I'm going to read verses 4 through 8. Exodus 24, beginning at verse 4. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. And he rose up early in the morning and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain. And twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrifices, peace offerings and oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins. And half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book. And then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all of these words. Exodus the 34th chapter and about verse 28. It says, so he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He's up on the mountain. And he neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant 
the Ten Commandments. Old Covenant. Written in a book. And written on tablets of stone. Jeremiah says by contrast. That this new covenant. Is going to be written on people's minds. And on their hearts. That first covenant was outward. The second one was inward. That first one was physical. The second one is spiritual. The first one was visible. The second one, invisible. So you say, wait a minute. You said the first one was visible? And the second one is invisible? Yes, because Jeremiah says the first one, or not Jeremiah, in the book of Exodus it says that first one was written on tablets of stone. Jeremiah says this one is going to be written on their hearts. So let me suggest to you the difference. So you take a look at those tablets of stone. And there are the Ten Commandments that are written there and you say, there's the covenant, I can see it. But Jeremiah says, no, this new covenant is going to be written on people's hearts. So, let's say you and I are walking down the street and we're coming face to face with one another. I want to know if you're in that covenant. You want to know if I'm in that covenant. And I look at you and I think, I can't see your heart. (laughs) So I don't know if God's words are written there or not. And then you look at me and you go, well, (laughs) I can't see your heart either. (laughs) So I don't know if those words are written there or not. So how do we know if those words are written on a person's heart? You want to know how? It's by the way they act. By the way you conduct your life, the way I I conduct my life, I can tell whether or not, and you can tell whether or not, His words are written on my heart. Let me give you this illustration. There was a young man, I mean, he's fully grown adult, living on his own and had his own place, but it just so happened to be just right down the street from a school. Now this young man kind of had a tendency to kind of, in the morning time when he's getting up, going off to work, he liked to hit the snooze button. You ever do that? And sometimes when he would finally come out of his apartment, jump in his car, and he would be heading to work, he'd be running late. And he would have to go through this school zone. i got to get to work. And so sometimes he would just buzz right on through there. The sign plainly says, school zone, 15 miles per hour. But there were numerous days when he's running late and I'm not paying any attention to that and I'm going. Until one day. That was the situation. And he come flying down the street not paying any attention to that sign. And just as he gets to that school zone, there's a little first grade boy that's standing on this side of the street. 
And he sees some of his friends on the schoolyard on the other side. And you know what he does? He runs between those parked cars right out into the street. And you know what this guy does? He sees him and his eyes get like saucers. And he hits the brakes and the tires screech. And when he gets stopped, he's inches from that little boy. Never again did he fly through that school zone. From that day forward, that law was written on his heart. He was that close to taking that little boy's life. Now he sees the value of that sign. Now he sees the value of that law. I want to read to you from the book of Romans. Romans the 13th chapter. I'm going to start about verse 8. Romans 13 and verse 8. The apostle Paul says, "Owe no one anything except to love one another." May I ask you something. Do you think the parents of that little boy, if they could, they would say to everybody who drives a car through that school zone in the morning, do you think they would say to them, I'm praying you observe that sign. I love that little boy. And I want you to love him too. And so you observe that sign. Because that's my child. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of that law. Can you see that? There was a law that was written on stone. But it was on the outside. And it was trying to get to the inside. God wanted us to understand. When you violate these. People get hurt. That was 1500 years ago. A little over 1500 years ago. When Moses was up on that mountain. But then now Jeremiah is talking about 1,500 years later. And he's talking about not Mount Sinai. He's talking about Mount Zion. And he's talking about Jerusalem. And he's talking about on the day of Pentecost. And he says there's going to be a new covenant. And this covenant will be written on their hearts. Over in the book of Acts, which we studied just recently, I'm going to turn there for just a second, Acts chapter 2. Acts 
This is the day of Pentecost. This is the Holy Spirit has fallen on the apostles. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Talking about the apostles, Holy Spirit falls. They're speaking as the Spirit gives them utterance. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Him him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. What did it just say? Holy Spirit fell. Apostles preached. And this is Peter speaking. And he says, Jesus was attested to you. Signs, miracles, wonders. This is the Son of God. And you, by lawless hands, you killed Him. You crucified Him. Lawlessness. And you put Him to death. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Verse 41. Then those who gladly received His word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Peter told them, you crucified the Son of God. They wanted to know, what shall we do? And then in verse 41 says that those who gladly received His Word were baptized and 3,000 were added that day. So that day, they had something written on their hearts. You want to know what was written on their heart? That day? Verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. You know what was written there? You just killed the Lord. You just killed the Messiah. The very one that was coming to deliver you, you put him to death. And when that was written on their hearts, you know what they said? What do we do? Verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift. Of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 added that day, bowed the knee to the Lord, and entered into a covenant with Him. That's what Jeremiah was talking about. Hebrews 10. About verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart 
in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What happened on the day of Pentecost? (laughs) They were offered the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, shed His blood. And the Hebrew writer now says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Their hearts weren't sprinkled with animal blood like it was with the law of Moses. They were spiritually sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. They had taken that message into heart. Ask, what shall we do? And when Peter told them, they responded. And so that second covenant was written. Was written on their hearts. So Paul writes over in 2 Corinthians 3 and about verse 3, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. And how was it the apostles were speaking that day? By the Spirit. And they spoke the Spirit's words. And they took it to heart. And realized what they had done. And then they responded. And they received the forgiveness of their sins. So secondly. Well, that's interesting. Personal relationship. Jeremiah 31, this time in verse 33, he says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. So the first distinction that is made between the law of Moses and this new covenant is one was written on stone. The second one was written on their hearts. And that the second distinction is it focuses on a personal relationship when God made a covenant with Sinai at Israel he called the whole nation together and Moses read the law to them and then they answered with one accord all that the Lord has said we will do but this covenant it focuses on a personal relationship That's what God has always wanted with His people. A personal relationship. That's what He wanted in the garden when He created Adam and Eve. In His image. A close personal relationship. Someone created in His image that He could have a relationship with. They could relate to Him. Because they were created in His image. But sin entered in. And disrupted that relationship. And that old law was written on stone and it was trying to work its way in. But now this covenant is written on the heart. And what he's saying, it'll come out. Now I'll see it in your life. So Christians are invited into a new covenant relationship. I will be their God and they shall be my people. A covenant. And so to help us to understand it, 
Paul wrote about it a number of years later. Ephesians, the fifth chapter. And he talks about husbands, love your wives. And he goes on to talk about how Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. For her. It's a sacrificial kind of love. But in the verse 33 of that chapter, it also says that wives are to reverence their husbands. And about verse 32, he said, This mystery is great, but I speak of Christ and the church. So he uses a husband-wife relationship to understand the kind of relationship that we are to have with Jesus Christ. Close. Personal. Sacrificial. Reverent. Loving. Relationship. And he says, I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Between husbands and wives. That's my wife. That's my husband. And that's what he's saying. That's the kind of relationship that it's supposed to be. First Peter chapter 2. Peter says, You are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people, that you might proclaim His praises because He has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's the kind of relationship, the closeness. Hebrews, the second chapter. It says Jesus is not ashamed to be called our brother. Matthew 10, the one who knows the Lord the best, says that the, all the hairs of your head are numbered. What's he suggesting? I know you intimately. This is the kind of relationship that I want to have with you. And that's what that's emphasizing. I will be their God. And they shall be my people. But third, thirdly, in Jeremiah 31 and verse 34, this is that third contrast. This is where he says, And they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Before you enter into a covenant relationship with God now, you have to know Him first. under the old law and we've been studying the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel and so we recall as we look back at 1st Samuel right how was it that Samuel ever showed up on the scene to begin with (laughs) well do you remember a man by the name of Elkanah (laughs) and he had this wife by the name of Hannah and he had this other wife that some people call Penny (laughs) Peninnah Hannah didn't have any children. Remember that? Oh, and she desperately wanted children. And she prayed about it. And then what did God do? He blessed her. And they had a son. Remember who that son was? There's Samuel. That's how he shows up on the scene, right? Two Hebrew parents. Elkanah 
Hannah. They have a son, Samuel. Because he's born into that family, you know what else he receives? He's a part of that covenant. Now as he is a little bit older, he is then taken, given to Eli. And Eli educates him, raises him up. And he comes to know the Lord. And he becomes a prophet, servant, judge for the Lord. But he had to be taught. But he was already in that covenant. And then he was taught. New covenant. It's different. So let me give you this other illustration. There is a play that is going to be taking place at the music hall right here in Kansas City. You all know what the name of it is? It's The Fiddler on the Roof. You ever seen it? It's a great play. Jewish people. Very traditional. Tevye, leading character, has several daughters. And in times past, tradition says, we just find a match for her or for one of my daughters. And that's how it goes. But then he has this daughter that has taken notice of this boy and this boy has taken notice of her. And guess what? They're falling in love. Well, that's not the marriage that he thought would take place. And that's not the way it was arranged. Tradition says we'll find you a mate. Tradition. Under the old law and according to the law, you were born into that covenant relationship if you were of Hebrew Jewish heritage. But now, if you're going to become part of this covenant, you have to be taught. You have to make a decision to enter into this covenant. You, individually, taught about the Lord and your choice. That's why it says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, those who gladly received His Word were baptized. And that day 3,000 souls were added. That's one covenant. But that was 3,000 individuals that made that decision. And they responded to the Spirit's words written on their heart. That's the way you enter in. Not because you're just born into a family. Not because, oh, it's traditional. This is what my parents were and this is what my grandparents were. I've said this before. God doesn't have any grandchildren. Each person, each generation has to make that decision. I had a young man tell me on one occasion. He said, when I got up to be in my teens, young teenager, he said, my dad came to me on one occasion. He said, son, 
it's time for you to be baptized. Really? <laughs> you know what, Dad? That's not your decision. That's your son's decision. You want him to be baptized? You want him in a covenant relationship with God? You teach him. And you teach him about God. You teach him what a blessing it is to be in a covenant with God and how he can enter that covenant. Because this covenant is all about sinners and a Savior. And each one making that decision. And when they make that decision, they're promised the forgiveness of their sins. And that's the fourth distinction. Because he says, in that day I will remember their sins no more. See, before Jesus died on the cross, the forgiveness of sins, the remission of sins, in the absolute sense, it was impossible. So the Hebrew writer over in Hebrews chapter 9 about verse 22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So what he is saying is, kind of generally speaking, in order for there to be forgiveness of sin, there has to be the shedding of blood. But in the next chapter, in chapter 10, he will go on to tell us that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats and calves to take away sin. So in offering those sacrifices, what were they doing? In that same chapter, he tells us that there was a remembrance of sins year after year after year. They were offering sacrifices. But those sins were never completely remitted. And it was remembered. But finally, when John the Baptist comes on the scene, and he's at the Jordan and he's baptizing and Jesus comes out to be baptized by John and John looks up and he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Now we've got the Lamb. Perfect, spotless, without blemish. That's what Peter will write about. 1 Peter chapter 1. redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, that lamb without spot or without blemish. That's what God was promising through Jeremiah. And so at that moment, when a person bows the knee and is obedient to the gospel, and they're baptized and their sins are washed away, that's what Peter's talking about in 1 Peter chapter 1 about verse 22 when he says, you purified your souls in obedience to the truth. Sins are free. Every sin you've ever committed up to that point in time is wiped clean. 
Hebrews the 10th chapter. For by one offering, He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. You know what I'm saying? At that moment in time, those sins are gone. Slate is wiped clean. And we rejoice in God's promise. Because Lord knows I committed plenty of sins prior to my being baptized. But I'm fully confident in this. On the day of judgment when I stand before Him, I will not answer for any one of those sins that I committed before I obeyed the gospel. Not a one. And He won't bring it up. It's over. It's done. It's sl- the slate is clean. But going forward, we say, now wait a minute. As a Christian, do you sin? <laughs> and if I say no, John says, you're a liar. Because <laughs> John says, if we say that we have no sin, we lie, and the truth is not in us. So what does John tell us over in 1 John 1? If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and the blood of His Son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so we rejoice in the fact that those sins of the past are washed away. The slate is clean. And we know going forward how we can have the forgiveness of our sins. That's why Isaiah said over in Isaiah chapter 1 about verse 18. Though your sins may be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they may be like crimson, they shall be like wool. So we know in this new covenant how we can have the forgiveness of our sins from the past and as we go forward. That's another area of newness. That our sins are washed away. And that brings newness to life. That's what Paul's talking about over in Romans the 6th chapter. Buried with Him in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. I can rejoice in that. And that word's written on my heart. And my life should reflect it. You can't look at my heart and know if it's there. <laughs> but by my life, you can say, can I see it's there? One writer put it this way. He said, under the new covenant, God buries our sins and He doesn't mark the grave. <laughs> so as you take a look at this new covenant. And you follow those covenants as they unfold throughout God's Word with Noah and with Abraham and with Israel and with David. God was arranging a place for God and man to work together. I'll never destroy the earth by water again. And God was saying, I'm initiating salvation through Abraham. And through Israel, 
I want you to see what I do to mark a people. You shall be holy for I am holy. And through David, I'm bringing an eternal kingdom and the perfect king to sit on that throne forever. And in this new covenant, he writes it on our hearts. And he wants us to know, he wants to have a close personal relationship with us one-on-one. But before you can enter into this covenant, you first got to know Him and you make a decision. But He also lets you know that your sins can be washed away. Absolutely forgiven. And so in Psalms 103, in verse 12, the psalmist said, He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. So think about that. Think about that new covenant that God offers today. And I'll just say this because of our time. I'm going to quit there. It's amazing. Quit a little bit sooner. (laughs) But I thought about it. I'm not going to do it. I thought maybe we should take the time to talk about Isaiah, the second chapter. But if I talk about Isaiah 2, then I've got to talk about Micah 4. And if I talk about Micah 4, then i got to talk about Daniel 2. So I thought I better just quit. <laughs> and we'll take those up another time. But Jeremiah said, Behold, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Jacob. Not like the covenant that I made with them when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. But in that day, I shall write my laws upon their minds. And upon their hearts. And I will. I will be their God. And they will be my people. God's new covenant. Jeremiah 31. Edwin thanks for the lead in today. I want to extend the invitation. And enter all that are here. If you've never entered into that covenant with him. Let us help you. Let us teach you. So that you might enjoy the blessings of being in that covenant. If you're a child of God and not been living as you should and you need to come back, John tells you what you need to do. Confess those sins. Pray for forgiveness for those sins. And he's willing to forgive you. If we can help you in any way, you let us know while together we stand and while we sing.